Hello and welcome to St Tom's Online. Please find our latest sermon. This morning's reading is from Mark chapter 8 verse 31 to the end and I'm reading from the Good News Bible. Jesus speaks about his suffering and death. Then Jesus began to teach to his disciples. The Son of Man must suffer much and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law. He will be put to death, but three days later he will rise to life. He made this very clear to them. So Peter took aside and began to rebuke him. But Jesus turned around and looked at his disciples and rebuked Peter. Get away from me, Satan, he said. Your thoughts don't come from God, but from human nature. Then Jesus called the crowd and his disciples to him. If anyone wants to come with me, he told them, he must forget himself, carry his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his own life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. Do people gain anything if they win from win the whole world but lose their life? Of course not. There is nothing they can give to regain their life. If a person is ashamed of me and my teaching in this godless and wicked day, then the Son of Man will be ashamed of him, and he will come in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Good morning, St. Tom's. Thank you very, very much for your invitation to join you today for your worship. Um, you know, I got to know St. Tom's, oh gosh, almost at the start of my ministry in the Winchester Diocese as Archdeacon. And as my time here in Hampshire draws towards a close, uh, it's just a delight to be able to join you again and to say thank you uh, so much for your companionship on the journey of, well, it's nearly the last decade for me. It has been a privilege and at so many times uh, you have just blown my socks off with your love and your compassion, your faith and your energy and your commitment. It has been a privilege and thank you. Um, Bob asked me just to say a few words about what I'm going on to and I think you've probably seen the video We Are Church Army, uh, which you'll find on the Church Army website. Um, having spent since the autumn working for Lambeth Palace on a work programme for the National Church, um, I'm really honoured to have been asked to now lead Church Army. Uh, some of you won't have heard of Church Army, although the video will have given you a little bit of an insight. Uh, it is part of the Church of England, but it's a separate charity in its own right. It's not part of the sort of national church diocesan structure. It operates in its own sphere, um, but it does a whole range of things. Um, I suppose the most famous thing that it does, or well-known thing, is its centres of mission. Uh, so Church Army has evangelists who are located primarily in areas of deprivation and poverty. And their task is to um, essentially to look for where God is calling people to faith and to enable that to happen. Uh, very much focused on service uh, and the living with the speaking of the invitation to faith. Uh, and uh, those we have a, a significant number um, 30 centres of mission and those are uh, scattered around not just England but also Wales, Scotland and in Ireland as well not just Northern Ireland but Republic too so it's an organisation that works across the British Isles uh, which is a real privilege in and of itself. 
We have about 200 plus employees and about 500 plus other volunteers. As I say, some of those are in the centres of mission. Uh, we also are involved in training for mission and evangelism. Uh, courses and uh, learning groups, discipleship groups for teenagers and also for older adults. We have a research unit uh, which is providing uh, research resources to inform the church's wider missional work. Um, some of you might have seen the work on fresh expressions of church a few years ago. That was a church army outcome. And significantly we also have what are called key projects. Uh, Church Army runs the largest women's refuge in the whole of Europe. It's based in London, uh, in Marylebone. And from that, uh, we're also involved in enabling people uh, who are moving from life on the streets or from uh, difficult or abusive situations back into sustainable living, teaching them life skills, employment skills, uh, back into wholeness of life. Uh, also with that, there is a project which is working with those who are seeking to leave sex slavery, primarily as a result of human trafficking. Um, that's quite a significant piece of work. Over in Cardiff, we have another project which is working with teenage homelessness and also one working uh, with young people who are self-harming for all kinds of reasons and struggling in so many ways. So it's an extraordinary organisation to be part of, full of the most wonderful people and to be called to lead it. Uh, it's well, it's quite intimidating actually, uh, but it's also a massive privilege. Um, and so I look forward to that. Um, but there we are, that's just a little bit about what I'll be going on to do. I'll be starting there in May, uh, commuting probably for the first six months or so on a weekly basis, and then finally leaving Hampshire uh, in the autumn with Tracy. So, as we turn to our passage today, perhaps we can pray together. Lord our God, what we've not yet seen, we ask that you would show us. What we've not yet heard, please speak to us. And into what we've not yet become, transform us by your Spirit, in Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Lovely. Well, I was interested a week or so ago to see that NASA have sent their new probe off to Mars. If I've got the story right, in time it's going to be joined by other probes, some with the capacity to do the return journey and bring us back some Martian rocks. Now, wouldn't that be something? But how is it that we can fuel up a space probe to get all the way to Mars, but... Tesla can't put together an electric car that can carry me much more than 300 miles. I won't bore you with my frankly noddy understanding of the physics involved in that. But one bit of physics is nice to know. If I've got the story right, then when we send these probes off to travel vast distances through space, they use a principle not unlike a slingshot. They kind of slingshot around the planets of the solar system. So the probe heads off, I don't know, towards Jupiter. It's probably completely the wrong direction, but I wouldn't know. And as it starts to slow down, it gets caught by Jupiter's gravitational field and gets pulled faster and faster and faster and faster towards Jupiter. And then it fires its rockets at the right point and then spins off away from Jupiter with its speed gathered up by all that energy it's drawn from Jupiter's gravitational field, spins off towards Mars or wherever its next jumping point is. 
probes can travel huge distances, I gather, through stringing together these slingshot moments. And I mention it because our gospel passage that we have today gives us three major slingshot moments. There are three little pieces that where things might be starting to slow down for us, they keep our momentum moving. They send us spinning through the narrative. It's verses 33, 34 and 35. One after the other, we spin through them, gathering pace and gathering understanding. So buckle in Houston, we're in for a bit of a ride. Now, this is a well-known passage, isn't it? We read a version of this from one or other of the Gospels every year during Lent. In Mark's account, the prophetic ministry of Jesus has been going swimmingly. Jesus has gathered his disciples and he's begun to teach. And more than that, people are actually listening to him. There's a buzz about the place. Jesus has calmed a storm on the Sea of Galilee cast out demons, healed here and there. He's fed 5,000 and then he's fed 4,000. The disciples themselves have been sent out and have seen how their preaching also strikes home with people. And they've tasted through themselves God's power to heal and to deliver. It's full steam ahead, home James and don't spare the horses. The cavalry's coming and yippee-i-a. And then we run into verse 31. The Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. Who then can wonder at Peter's reaction to this? No, 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 and a thousand times no. Looks like we're slowing down rapidly. The energy of Jesus's mission looks like it's going to falter. He's not going to go the distance. And then comes the first slingshot. Verse 33. Jesus rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. For you are setting your mind not on divine things, but human things. Ouch. Get behind me, Satan. It's a bit much isn't it? Peter's only spoken as any of us would, surely. Satan? Steady now. That's a bit strong. Well, it is a bit strong if these words are in fact a direct address to Peter, but I suspect they're not really. Let me explain that. Last Sunday, the gospel took us to the temptation of Christ in the wilderness, isn't it? Those of you who were listening carefully at the time, rather than fishing around for a chocolate biscuit under your chair, yes, I know what you do in sermons over Zoom at home, but those of you who were noticing at that point will have probably seen that the temptation story in Matthew's Gospel is very short. Yes? We're far more familiar with the accounts from Matthew and Luke as it happens. Turn these stones into bread. Throw yourself down from this high place. Worship me and I will give you the kingdoms of the world. That's Matthew. That's Luke. It's not Mark. So, in the narratives of Matthew and Luke, Jesus is presented as facing a choice. Does he proceed towards kingship 
by the exercise of his divine power in a way that overthrows the world? Or does he follow a path which is actually his calling, where kingship follows self-offering? The choice is set up for us as a divine battle between Satan and Jesus, and Jesus wins. He will take the harder road, the road less travelled. But as I say, Mark's Gospel has none of this. It simply says that he was in the wilderness and tempted by Satan. Instead, what Mark does is to boil it all down, concentrate the essence of that tussle between Jesus and Satan, and then offer it to us in one verse, verse 33 of chapter 8. The temptation here for Jesus is still to follow the path of common good sense. It's reasonable. Indeed, to turn away from suffering and death, to make the most of the populism that's gathering around him, it seems right. It seems obvious, doesn't it? Who wouldn't do that? It is a tussle between Jesus and Satan, just as fierce as the wilderness narratives of Matthew and Luke. But the outcome is the same. I don't think Jesus is addressing Peter as he says, Get behind me, Satan. He's addressing Satan himself. He's addressing the source of his temptation. You know, the way that Mark communicates all this to us emphasises some important things for us. You see, if Satan popped up in my study, offering me all kinds of lovely things, I suspect I might be on my guard. At least as far as I know, Satan's not in the habit of dropping round to Bellflower Way on a weekday afternoon. It would be so odd that I would be suspicious. Yet in Mark's account, this crisis point of temptation comes not as an odd and suspicious event. The temptation comes as no more than apparently natural and obvious path. Of course we would do that. And it's reinforced by the well-intentioned concerns of friends like Peter. I don't know about you, but for me, I'd be far more likely to stumble under Mark's style of temptation than that of Matthew and Luke. And for me, it is these obvious common sense ways that are most likely to get me to drift from the good that God intends. This is a very, very human, ordinary life way of understanding the nature of temptation. And it's worth reflecting on that as we make our journey through Lent. So verse 33, that's slingshot one. And slingshot two follows on its heels in verse 34. Mark has given us a common sense view of temptation. It might have been us. Then just as we breathe a sigh of relief, that in this case it isn't us, just as our momentum starts to slow, verse 34 slams us onwards. It is us, actually. What is so for Jesus? so for us also. What is it verse 34 says? If any of you want to be my followers, well, 
anyone like that, let them deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. Bishop Oscar Romero, slain by right-wing militias as he celebrated Mass in the chapel of the Hospital of Divine Providence. Maximilian Kolbe, the priest who offered himself for execution in the place of another prisoner in Auschwitz. There are indeed times when the only way to oppose evil is through self-annihilation. The brothers and sisters of Ards who have taken this path have emptied out the fear that drives evil. How? Well, they've emptied it by setting in its place complete trust in God. You can't really have both, can you? Complete trust and fear. Thankfully, relatively few of us are called to a path such as theirs. But the principle of it, the ultimate possibility of it, it rests beside this. It sits in the chair next to you, almost as the limit condition of our very existence as God's people. And the character of that offering should suffuse our lives. But we're not done. Slingshot 3 is in verse 35. Those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel, they'll save it. This verse I find so utterly profound and so very challenging that I could talk with you about it all day long. But don't worry if you've only brought one packet of chocolate biscuits, I'm not going to talk for all day. <laughs> but the crux of it is this. We live in a world that is obsessed by self-actualization, don't we? By fulfilling our potential, by becoming and being able to be who we truly are. Sounds very self-obsessed, narcissistic, doesn't it? But here's the thing. God feels the same. He is far more obsessed with us becoming fully ourselves, fully alive, utterly complete, than you or I could ever be. The problem for us is that you can never get to that fulfilment by trying to get there. Sounds odd, doesn't it? It's almost as if we see our fulfilment, our completion, our wholeness ahead of us, shining like a city on a hill. But the more we stride out in that direction, the faster we walk, the more we press on towards it, the more we find that the city is unreachable. It's almost that it recedes from us as we walk. You know, the only way to that city is to be found by walking away from it. Certainly in the world's terms. As verse 35 says, the only way to save your life is to lose it. So often the heart of the Christian faith looks like madness in the eyes of those around us, doesn't it? You know, every seven or eight years I get invited back with my university contemporaries to my old college. It was a posh sort of place. So most people I was there with have gone on to... Ooh, create hedge funds, become prime ministers, partners of international law firms and the like. And as we swap our life notes, 
There is a degree of incredulity and incomprehension in their eyes about the path my life has taken. It's madness. And yet for a fair number, there is also longing. Interesting, isn't it? For beyond all the gains they've made in life, the one thing they truly sought has and will always elude them. Because to truly possess your life, you must give it away in trust and find that God gives it back to you. I'm not great at doing that, by the way. I should hasten to add, I'm no saint on that, and I sometimes wonder if that's why God called me to be a priest in the first place. Because he knew that if he'd let me take the path that many of you tread day by day, whether the aspirations of this world are dangled in front of you by friends and colleagues all the time, I think God knew I would never have the strength to hold out. <laughs> This journey of Lent and into the passion of Easter, it seems to be all about self-denial, turning away from self, losing rather than gaining. Yet it is the only way in which we can become fully whole, become who God intends for us to be. Three slingshots that propel us into the heart of the mission of Jesus Christ into the heart of our own calling and destiny, into the journey of our own wholeness, our fulfilment, our completion. May they also propel you onwards in your journey in this week ahead. Amen. It's been lovely to see you. Thank you.